Hi, howdy and hello everyone. Welcome back to Finding the Middle Path, Be Drama Free through DBT. We're on episode six and in this episode we're going to talk about the skill opposite action. Okay, for opposite action we're going to talk about the what, when, why, and how. Let's start with the what. What is opposite action? Well, simply put, opposite action is when you act opposite to the urge of whatever emotion it is that you're feeling. Now, I did use the word simple in there, but to use an AA saying, this skill is simple, but definitely not easy. It takes repeated effort over the course of the emotion and over the course of time to even see a difference in the emotion. However, scientific research has showed us several examples in which acting opposite actually helps you when you have a certain emotion. One example that they tell us about, about is using opposite action when you are facing something that you are afraid of. So if you repeatedly face the thing that you fear and nothing bad happens, your fear will go down over time. There's a lot of research that supports that theory. If you're depressed, getting active, even if it's only for a little bit over the course of time, will actually work to reduce your depression. So those are two examples of how opposite action works. Why act opposite? Acting opposite of your emotion can change or reduce your emotion. So even if it doesn't change it entirely, it can make it so that you feel the emotion less which means that you'll be able to control it a little bit more and have effective actions while feeling the emotion. Acting opposite of your emotion can also help you return to your baseline. So if you get really sad about something or you get really, really angry about something, using opposite action can help you to return down to your neutral baseline so that you can continue acting in effective actions. When, when to use opposite action? There are a few specific times when you should. The first is when the emotion doesn't fit the facts of the situation. The second is when your emotion is too intense, has lasted too long, or acting on the emotion will not be effective. So I have lots of examples for this. For fit the facts, I'm gonna go into that a little more in depth uh, near the end of this episode so that we can kind of break down what exactly it means to fit the facts of the situation. But as a quick, simple example, an emotion that doesn't fit the facts is when you have terror in response to public speaking. And even though you're going in front of people, you're not actually in danger. So having terror in response to public speaking doesn't exactly fit the facts. And like I said, we'll talk more specifically about that a little bit later on in this episode. For an emotion being too intense, an example could be if you're at work and you're very hurt by the angry words of the teenager that you're working with. Even if you feel that emotion that's very intense, acting on that emotion is not going to be effective for you or the teenager. So using opposite action when you feel that really intense emotion can help you to be able to make a decision that isn't going to be harmful to you or the other person. For opposite action lasting too long, an example might be, let's say, you got into an argument with your spouse or a significant other in the morning and by you know three o'clock in the afternoon you've been at work and you've just been ruminating on it all day that might be something sometime when you want to use opposite action because having that emotion in its intensity last that long isn't going to be effective for you finally when acting on the emotion will not be effective an example is <laughs> i use this example if there's a kid at work and they don't like me, I've done something to offend them, or they just don't like how I interact with them. 
if they get ultra angry and start acting out every time they see my face, it's not going to be effective for them. They'll get in trouble. They'll lose their points. It will just turn out badly for them, but actually won't do anything to me. I, I don't take things like that personally. So acting on the emotion of disliking Lucinda is not going to be effective, which means that it's a good time to act opposite for that kid. Okay, so we've gone through the what, when, and why of opposite action. Now it's time to talk a little bit about the how of opposite action. So in this section, we're going to talk about a variety of different emotions, the urges that go along with those emotions, and then the opposite action approach to those emotions. The first one is going to be fear or anxiety. Now, urges that go along with fear or anxiety are avoid, so avoid whatever it is that you're afraid of or anxious about. The opposite action approach is to approach. <laughs> so whatever it is you're afraid of or anxious about, you go towards it. You face your fears, to use a well-known saying. This approach works for a couple of different ways, or a couple of different reasons. The first is, the longer that you stay in the situation, the more the emotion will go down. So you'll become less emotionally elevated as long as you continue to do whatever it is you're afraid. So let's go back to our example of public speaking. If you have a public speaking engagement and you're really anxious about it, the first couple of minutes of your presentation, you'll be pretty anxious. Your emotional elevation level will be pretty high. The longer that you continue to do it, so let's say you have a 30 minute engagement, by the time you get to the end, so 30 minutes, you'll find that you're feeling a lot less anxious. So that's the first way that it works. The second way that it works is that repeated practice and having an emotion lessens the emotion itself. Going back to public speaking, if you're really, really shy and you continually push yourself to do public speaking engagements, over time, you'll become less shy and you'll be less afraid of doing the public speaking. I have personal experience with that. When I was really young, I was super shy, like to the point where if someone sat next to me on the bus, I would sit completely still and stare straight ahead in the hopes that maybe then they would not talk to me because I was too afraid to talk to them back. And now, however many years later, 30 years later, I can't remember how old I was, I can speak in public pretty easily. It's actually something that I enjoy doing. The reason being, I have pushed myself to do it over and over and over for many years to the point where I'm not really afraid or anxious about it anymore. Now, the only time when you are not supposed to use opposite action with fear or anxiety is when the fear is justified. So if that's, if there's a dangerous situation or a dangerous person that you're afraid of, do not use this approach. So don't go up to a snarling dog that looks like it's about to bite you if you're afraid of dogs. That's dangerous. The next emotion we're going to talk about is anger. So anger, some of the urges that go along with anger is attacking, which could include like passive aggressive attacking or, you know, actual aggressive attacking. The opposite action approach then is to gently avoid. Now, this doesn't mean avoid having the feeling of anger. It's more like avoid whatever it is that's making you or that's triggering that anger and take some time to calm yourself down so that you can deal with it. So you can take some deep breaths, 
you can always tell the patients at work, you go over and do 50 jumping jacks, get some of that anxious, angry energy out, whatever it is that calms you down. Do that and then approach the situation with kindness or with empathy if you can do that. The next emotion is sadness. So sadness, the urges that go along with that are to withdraw, to turn inward, opposite action, get active. Now this one, it seems very simple, but it's not, (laughs) it's not really. When you're sad or depressed, it's hard to do anything. So the key point with this is to get active, even if it's just a little bit, even if you can only like take a walk down to your mailbox and check the mail. That counts. That's a little bit of getting active. Over time, little bits of getting active will help tremendously to get over the emotion that you're feeling. So get active, even if it's just a little bit. The next one we have is shame. Now this is where it gets a tiny bit tricky because there are two types of shame, therefore meaning that there are two different opposite action approaches. Some of the urges that go along with shame are to hide, to avoid, or to withdraw. So the first approach is when you're feeling shame and the behavior that is invoking the shame violates your moral values, the approach is to face the music. So as an example, let's say you were in a fight with someone that you care about and you yelled at them and called them some really bad names. You might feel ashamed of that. If that behavior of yelling and calling names violates your moral values, then you would use the face the music approach, which oftentimes will include apologizing and repairing the harm when it's possible trying to avoid making making the same mistake in the future and accepting consequences and finally forgiving yourself and let it go it doesn't benefit anyone for you to continue to beat yourself up about something a mistake that you made even if it is something that you feel ashamed about so forgiving yourself and let it go is an important part of that so all of that is when you've done something where you have to face the music the second approach for something that might evoke shame is going public. So this is what you should do when your behavior does not violate your moral values. Going public public includes continuing to participate fully in social interactions, uh, going public with the personal characteristics or your behavior that invokes the shame with people that won't reject you, and repeating the behavior that sets off the shame over and over again, again, with people that will not reject you. Now, as an example for this one, it could be, it should be something that you feel shame about, but there's really nothing to be ashamed about. An easy example to understand is um, members of the LGBTQ community. So sometimes having those feelings create shame within that person. So going public would mean coming out to people that they know they can trust, that aren't gonna reject them or judge them about that. It could be peers, it could be family, it could be teachers, it could be pretty much anyone, but the key is to practice doing it with people that you know are going to accept you and love you regardless of what it is that you're telling them. Another example would be having mental health struggles. This includes addiction. So a lot of times people will feel ashamed or embarrassed about being in addiction or having depression 
or any other mental health struggles. Those are not things to be ashamed of at all. They're just a part of who you are as a person. They're a part of what your individual struggle is about. So going public would mean being able to tell people that you trust over and over and over again until you finally begin to have less shame about those personal characteristics about yourself. Okay, our next emotion is also another tricky one because it has two approaches. And this is the emotion of guilt. So urges that go along with the emotion of guilt are overpromise, not to commit the offense again, or the opposite, disclaiming all responsibility for whatever it is that you've done. The two approaches, the first one is the same as the as, as shame, face the music. So this is the approach that you take when your behavior violates your moral values. So you've done something that you feel guilty about and it's something that you definitely know that you shouldn't do. I always use the example of you broke into your kid's piggy bank or you broke into your younger sibling's piggy bank and borrowed a couple of dollars. Like you might feel real guilty about that. And for a good reason, you know, they're younger than you. You shouldn't be stealing their money. So if that behavior violates your moral values, then you would face the music in that case. So it's experience the guilt. So don't try and brush it off or ignore it. Ask, but don't beg for forgiveness and accept the consequences and then repair the transgression and work it to prevent it from happening again. So it's very similar to the approach for shame. The second is don't apologize or try to make up for it. So whatever the behavior is. And this is the approach that you take when your behavior does not violate your moral values. So this would include, you know, changing your body posture, looking innocent and proud if that's relevant, keep your head up, maintain eye contact, keep your voice steady and clear. The easiest example to understand with this, with this guilt piece is setting boundaries is the one I use with the the patients. So a lot of times the people that you care about, they're used to interacting with you in a certain way. And when you're in treatment, you have to learn how to set boundaries with the person so that they know that you can't act that way anymore. I can't act that way anymore. And if we're going to continue to have a relationship, this is how it has to be. A lot of times people will fight back against that and the person setting the boundaries will feel guilty because they feel like they might be hurting someone's feelings when they're really not. They're trying to stick up for what's healthiest for them. So for that, I tell them if you're setting boundaries with your family or your friends, don't apologize for those boundaries. Those are what keeps you safe. And definitely don't try to make up for it. If they're not going to accept your boundaries, then they are not someone that should be in your life. So that's a, a simple one to try and to understand how to use the opposite action approach for guilt. The next emotion we're going to talk about, pretty easy one, it's jealousy. The urges that go along with that are to control, to accuse, to snoop, or to push away. Opposite action, super easy. Let go of controlling others' actions. A lot of times we're feeling jealousy and it's based on our own insecurities and it actually doesn't have any merit in reality. So letting go of controlling other people's actions makes it so that we can start to let go of that jealousy that we have as well. The final emotion we'll talk about is love. So if you don't know what the urges that go along with love are, some of them might be spend time with that person, you want to do what they want, you want to give and receive affection from them. The opposite action for that is to stop expressing love. 
Very importantly, you don't have to use opposite action with all types of love. It's pretty much, this is the approach to use when the love doesn't fit the facts or it's not effective. So easy examples of that are abusive relationships or relationships that are truly over or inaccessible. Whenever I, whenever I tell this one to the girls, I always tell them, you know, you have to stop your Facebook stalking or your Instagram looking or whatever it is the kids do these days. You're supposed to avoid the person and distract yourself from thoughts of the person. You're supposed to remind yourself of why the love isn't justified and rehearse the cons of loving the person. And then most importantly, you're supposed to avoid contact with things that remind you of the person if, if possible. So like pictures and stuff. You don't have to necessarily throw them away, but to put them somewhere away so that you aren't tempted to look at them until you've been able to bring down your emotional level of love to a low enough level that seeing a picture of this person won't completely throw you into a spiral. Okay, so now we've got our how to do the opposite action part two. And if you've been listening to the podcast, you know I love acronyms. So I created another acronym that has sort of a three-step process that you can remember on how to do opposite action. So remember the word ACT, A-C-T. The A stands for ask. The C stands for change what you're doing. And then the T is try, try, try again. So for A, you ask yourself, what emotion am I feeling? What urges do I have? Does my emotion fit the facts? Will acting on the emotion be effective for me? Do I want to change the emotion? The last question is very important. If you want to change the emotion, that's where you decide whether or not you're gonna do opposite action. If for some reason you don't wanna change the emotion, then you wouldn't do opposite action. The C, change what you're doing. Change what you're doing by acting opposite. So figure out what the urges are, which you should have kind of thought about when you're asking yourself, and then do the opposite of them. An important piece to this is that inaction is not action. So if you say my urge is to flip a table, opposite action, I didn't flip a table, that doesn't count. You have to actually do something in order for opposite action to be effective. The final letter, T, try, try, try again. It does, it takes more than one try of doing opposite action to get any sort of results. So continue acting opposite until the emotion goes down enough for you to notice. And it could take a long time for you to continue doing opposite action over and over and over. It might take a short time, but the point is you have to keep doing it until you've noticed that your emotion has gone down enough. The last thing we're going to talk about with opposite action is this phrase of fit the facts. So you may have noticed throughout this discussion, I've talked about whether or not an emotion fits the facts. So I'm going to try and explain a little bit further how you can figure out if your emotion fits the facts. So imagine your emotion on a scale of one to a hundred with one being on the left, being the smallest amount that you might feel the emotion and a hundred being on the right being the most that you've ever felt this emotion. And all of the numbers in between are all the different levels that you could feel this emotion. We're gonna use the example of fear. So on a scale of 10, your body responses to fear might be you're easy to startle or you're hyper aware. So for me, 
a level 10 fear response might be invoked by watching a scary movie in the middle of the day. I don't know about you guys, but I'm kind of a scaredy cat, so watching a scary in the middle of the night or when it's dark, it goes a little bit higher on the level for me. So this example is specifically watching a scary movie in the middle of the day when it's light. Flip to the other side and let's examine a level 80 on the, the fear scale. So some level 80 body responses might be crying, your heart racing, adrenaline pumping, or hyperventilating. Now a level 80 situation might be you just got into a car accident, right? So I, in the past five years, for some reason, the back of my car is like a magnet. We've been rear-ended multiple times. So level 80 responses, you just got hit by a car while you're in a car. So I definitely did a little bit of crying because I was really, really angry. My heart was racing, adrenaline was pumping. I'm not really a hyperventilator, but some people have that. So that might be a level 80 situation. How you figure out then if a situation fits the facts is you make sure that you know you're mindful of what your body responses are to different levels. So we've done level 10 and we've done level 80. If we talk about public speaking and we want to know if public speaking fits the facts, we would ask ourselves, what levels our body responses at? What levels our body response to public speaking? So if my body response is my heart's racing and I'm hyperventilating, that indicates a level 80 on my scale. Is public speaking on the same level as being in a car accident? Absolutely not, right? Being in a car accident, you could be really hurt. There's a big monetary investment that is basically not there anymore, right? Your car is probably broken. So public speaking, none of that stuff is there. Because your body response to public speaking doesn't fit the facts of your emotional scale, you know that terror in response to public speaking does not fit the facts. And that's just kind of a basic idea of how you can figure out how an emotion fits the facts is make yourself a scale, identify like two or three points on the scale where you know what your body responses are, and then identify events that go along with those body responses. Whenever you wanna figure out if a situation fits the facts, look at the situation and see if it lines up with the situation that you've picked for your scale. Okay, that's all that I've got for you today. All the information I shared with you today is from the DBT Skills Manual for Adolescents by Jill Rathis and Alec Miller. The ACT acronym, ACT for Opposite Action, I created, and as a quick reminder, the A is for ask, the C is for change what you're doing, and the T is for try, try, try again. Thank you so much for spending 20 minutes of your day learning about opposite action and coping skills and being able to better yourself in your interactions with the people around you. All right, we'll see you next time when we find the middle path and be drama-free through DBT.